Welcome to the Teachers Matter podcast, where we share stories, strategies, and wisdom to inspire your teaching and enhance your life. We'll go beyond the theory by sharing tips, tools, and actions that will help you to create a positive difference in your life at home and school. With your hosts, Karen Tui Boys and Megan Gallagher. Welcome to the Teachers Matter podcast. I'm Karen Tui Boys from Spectrum Education, and I'm a champion for lifelong learning. Kia ora, I'm Megan Gallagher. I'm a teacher, a coach, and a writer, and I'm really passionate about teacher wellbeing and teachers being the best that they can be. So, Karen, today we're going to be talking about risk taking. Can you tell us a little bit about risk taking in the classroom? Oh, risk taking in the classroom. This is such an important skill for our children to learn. Do you know the uh, researchers, the futurists, have been talking about for a while that the world is changing and what our students need to come out of school is changing as well. In fact, school was set up to create employees in the 18th century. And now the world has changed so much. uh, We actually know that 40% of the students in our classrooms will not have a job uh, to go to, that uh, they're going to need to be self-employed, to have an entrepreneurial mindset, which is a very different thought process, a very different way to act and think than being an employee. You know, school teachers traditionally teach students how to turn up on time, uh, uh, do as they're told, don't rock the boat, do it at a certain standard, and then clock out at the end of the day. That is not the entrepreneurial mindset. An entrepreneurial mindset needs to be able to take risks, to venture into places they've never done, things they've never done before, need to not only have the skills, but also uh, put the marketing in place and do the invoicing and they're not just going to be fixing the taps and doing just the job. They're going to be doing the whole gamut of what it means to be run a business. And so the idea of being able to take a responsible risk to be able to give something a go is going to be uh, extremely important in the 21st century. And even if you are an employee, we're still being asked to be more entrepreneurial in our jobs, aren't we? So we're asked to be looking for new opportunities or taking on new learning because the world is changing really, really quickly now. So so even for those people that don't end up running their own business, they're still going to need to have those skills to be able to operate in any business or in any employment situation. Mm, Absolutely correct. So there are two types of risk-taking. One is when you venture... Uh, to give something a newer go so you just try something out and you move from your comfort zone into that that known zone that safe place out into the growth zone but you don't push into the panic zone so the panic zone is when the experience is way so far out of your comfort zone that uh, you can't cope and there's no learning happens in the panic zone so we want to help students to move into that growth zone of learning but the second part of risk taking is that adventure that spontaneous that give it a go take a chance on something and not be wedded I guess to the outcome hoping there is an outcome that you want, of course, but that you actually plan that what happens if it doesn't work? So there are those two types of risk-taking. So venture and adventure. Yes, venture and adventure. So what we know from research, and this comes from the research from Art Costa and Ben Akalik from the Habits of Mind research, they talk about that 
responsible risk takers ask themselves questions. Mm. So they ask themselves questions about, can I do it? Am I prepared? I'll give it a go. They just, they have this internal dialogue and uh, set point where they just go, I'll, I'll, I'll risk something and give it a go anyway. And of course, this is learnable. Now, if you're not sure about this, I would like you to go into a five-year-old classroom and those babies just want to learn. <laughs> you go into a five-year-old classroom and ask any question and the hands just go up. They don't care what the question is. The teacher only has to say, who wants how many their hands go up? They just want to learn those babies, don't they? Yeah, and they want to be involved and engaged and part of it all. Just so excited. Yet the further we go up the school, go into a secondary classroom, and the teacher asks the question, the students do this. They pretend if I can't see you, you can't see me. And they revert to uh, toddlers or baby um, thinking. And so this uh, is really important because what we're actually doing in schools is actually diminishing the skill of risk taking, which is really what we want. Because if we, if we were nurturing this throughout the school process, you would see more and more hands up as they got older, but we're actually stopping it. And we're stopping it because of the, the way that we often call upon students. So for instance, Often what we do as educators, and uh, by the way, uh, we talked on our previous podcast, if, uh, if you know better, you'll do better, and not to beat yourself up if you don't know this information in our self-compassion session. So don't beat yourself up if this is new to you and you go, oh, I've been doing this and I shouldn't, <laughs> shouldn't have. Don't shit on yourself. Just go, hey, maybe I can try a new technique, which mm. is what we want to share with you today, Absolutely. right? So a whole lot of new things. So when... When they put their hands up, often we call upon this first student. So because we want to keep things moving. But actually, we want to value not that they're the first, but that they've taken the time to be able to do the thinking and the time to process the information. Mm -hmm. So the first strategy you might use is called wait time. And the research shows that the average teacher waits one second for a student to answer or before this teacher actually does one of three things, call upon somebody to answer the question, answer the question themselves or ask a brand new question. Mm. The challenge is one second is not enough time for thinking to occur. So what we want to do is wait between seven and 10 seconds. I actually use my hands for that. So for me, because I, I want to keep things moving. So what I do is I'll actually go and deliberately keep my mouth shut. Don't make eye contact with the children either because that means I want to call on somebody. And then I ask. And that way it stops me from, it's, it's a physical thing that stops me. I used to, in the old days pre-COVID, I would do this and actually put my hands physically over my mouth so I couldn't speak. <laughs> because, you know, like you naturally want to, you want to fill that gap. We've been taught to fill the void. So yeah, having a wee tool or strategy to help you Managed it has made a big difference for me. I wiggle my toes. <laughs> I wiggle them 10 times. Uh, so that's what I do. And you have to be comfortable with silence. I think mm. that's the, uh, and know that the first time you do this, if you're with little ones, they'll say, Don't you know the answer? <laughs> if you're with the bigger ones, they'll say, uh, Have you been to, to doing some professional development? Is this a technique? Is this something you're trying on us? Uh, and of course, the answer is no. Um, but 
it's not a technique to you know manipulate it's a technique to help give them time to think so they can take a risk and so they can uh, actually try something maybe they haven't tried or give a response but when we just take the first ones we're not giving the children that time for the thinking and we diminish their ability to want to participate and and often there are a number of children who want who actually need time to think before they come up with something or if we want to get depth in our conversations in our classrooms particularly if we've asked a really good question we need to then honor that thinking time mm-hmm. and and I actually talk to my students about this so I say I won't be calling on the first person I am looking for people to do the thinking so I'm going to be waiting and we all just need to wait and give people time to think so that that's actually everybody's in on the game. It's not that I'm playing the game with anybody or tricking them. Mm, We're all in on on what we're doing and why we're doing it. It has a purpose. I hear myself when I'm doing model lessons, when I come into the classroom and share these techniques and show teachers how they how they work with the teachers all sitting fishbowling around the outside and I'm working with the students, I hear myself say regularly, what I value is not that you're the first to answer, but that you have taken time to think about your answer. So being able to create that wait time. I think if we also want to celebrate or to encourage risk-taking in our classrooms, we want to celebrate making mistakes and say, hey, this is how we learn as human beings. When you fell down, you got up. You fell down, you got up to learn to walk. You fell off your bike. Making mistakes is part of the human experience. It's part of the learning experience. And so therefore, we need to celebrate that. I used to get my students when someone made a mistake, we would celebrate. We would all go, woohoo, a mistake's been made. How can we learn from this? So we would actually showcase learning happening in the classroom. And, and I do that myself. So with, with my students, I'm, I, they're very lucky because they've got a really good example. I make lots of mistakes. Genuine mistakes. Genuine, right? real mistakes. <laughs> like I'm, I'm not even trying, I'm not even acting or pretending. Um, so when I make a mistake, I stop. And if it's a mistake... I've said something sharp to somebody that I didn't need to say. I apologise and I apologise genuinely. I I do it in an authentic way because I think it's important that we learn to apologise. That's part of what we do and none of us are perfect. And if I make a mistake in something like uh, I'm writing on the board and I I make a a spelling mistake, I go, oops, I just made a mistake. Did anybody notice? And they'll go, yeah, yeah, we did. And then I go, stop. Has the sky fallen? Has the world ended? And they'll go, no. Oh, okay, so mistakes are okay, cool. And we'll carry on. And then we'll talk about the spelling mistake that I might have made and how I could do. And so that's almost like a a refrain in my classroom now. So now when I go, whoops, I made a mistake, they will now say, is the sky falling? So yeah, yeah, that's that's awesome. Another uh, strategy to encourage more risk taking in the classroom is to stop judging. And this one uh, teachers do without even knowing and understanding. So again, have self-compassion for yourself as I explain this. But what we often do is we're asking students for ideas or responses to our questions. And so what, what we see in the classroom is this, I see teachers say, great, oh, amazing, awesome. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, right. Um, oh, I didn't think of that. Like nice a, try. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, like it's <laughs> guess the answer in the teacher's head. So first thing, stop yeah. playing that game. It is a win-lose game. They can't win at this game unless I've seen your lesson plan or can mind read. I haven't met a child who can mind read yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so stop playing the guess the answer in the teacher's head game. Second, 
when you're responding to their answers, why do we stop when we get the right answer? Because now what are we teaching them? That's all we're looking for. So Art Costa suggests that we actually say, get to the right answer and keep going. And so keep going. But then it's the judgment call that you make on all of these answers that children are giving. So how come someone was told good, someone was told, told oh, okay, and someone was told it was awesome or brilliant? And so now we are actually judging the responses from our children and children are like, oh, mine was only okay, so I won't say anything next time because obviously that person's more brilliant than I am. And so we create this uncomfortableness for children to take risks in the classroom. So instead, a little strategy that I know thousands of teachers around the world now use is to simply, instead of saying good, bad, yes, no, is just to say, thank you. So thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, what I'm thanking them for is not the actual answer they gave. I'm thanking them for their willingness to take a risk in front of their peers because this is a high-risk move. Oh, yeah. You might be right or worse, you could be wrong. And in front of your peers, being wrong is very, very scary. So think about when you have to do a presentation in front of your own teachers. It's a bit yeah. scary, right? And so we don't want our children to feel like that. And when they share their stories every day, you know, they read their stories or they get up and do their speech, that is so scary in front of your peers. So what we want to be able to do is to say, thank you, thank you, thank you. We're thanking the participation, not the actual content. Now, if you are looking for the right answer, go past the right answer, that'll keep them thinking and maybe taking some more risks about their ideas and then you'll say let's go back to this idea and I also think it's, it comes down to our questioning as well because if we're looking for one answer maybe that's that's a, like a quite a closed conversation but if we really want to have a deep and meaningful conversation where we're encouraging our children to take risks then asking a question where we don't have a prepared answer or where there isn't just one answer opens up that door and I think we're more likely to take risks when we say, there isn't one right answer. I don't know the right answer. Let's have a conversation yes. about this. Yeah, helps that too. Mm. One of the things you talked about was stop rescuing, right? Oh, yeah. So when, when, our, when our students make mistakes, when they maybe do something wrong or they, that they have that uncomfortable feeling because things aren't going well for them, you know, one of, one of the temptations is we want everyone to be happy, right? So we go in and we rescue and we try to make it better for them. But sometimes it's actually better to let them sit with that and let them work through the discomfort. I know that I've got a number of children in over recent years who have come into, into school and they will give up really easily. Mm. When we're doing an art project, for example, you get that, I can't draw, I'm no good at this, I can't use scissors, it's dumb, I hate this, I'm not doing it. Which does my head in. So we take a step back and I say, well, actually, we need to do this. So how are you going to find a way around it? What are some strategies you can use? We might go and have a look at what other people are doing. We have a conversation about it. I tell them that I actually believe that they can do it. I wouldn't ever ask them to do something in the classroom they weren't capable of. Setting that comfort zone and that growth zone for them to a certain extent. So I'm telling them I wouldn't give them something they couldn't do. So I know that they can do it. They just can't do it yet. And so what are the strategies or tools that they might be able to use? And I let them sit sometimes with the discomfort before I go and do the conversation with them so that they 
get better at at rescuing themselves. They get better at taking those risks because if I if I keep rescuing them, they'll never do it. They'll just wait for somebody to come and help them. I notice that in my own parenting. I hear my daughter say, "Mom, do you know where something goes? Mom, can you do? Mom, can?" I hear this over and over and over again. And here's the amazing thing: if I don't do anything, if I don't respond, I wait. 30 seconds, maybe a minute, I'll hear, it's okay, I found it. <laughs> and I think that's true in the classroom. If they, uh, I talked recently at a keynote speech I was doing about teachers being first responders, and we often are the first response, responder. They, they come, come to us. It's like, I can't do it, I'll go straight to the teacher. So we need to give them those strategies to be able to do that. And one of the phrases that I hear myself again, say over and over again, is... Everything is hard before it is easy. And so this is such an important little phrase in the classroom. It's hard to do the things and it should be hard. Learning is hard. We need to stop saying, you know, learning should be fun, joy, joy. It's not always. Learning is hard. So it's hard before it is easy and get used to that feeling, that uncomfortable feeling of hard and difficult. I'm actually doing that at the moment. I'm learning Tai Chi and... Not only is it slowing me right down, but it is hard to get the coordination with my hands and my feet and the breathing and my eyes following and (laughs) everything else. It's challenging and difficult. And I'm I'm getting used to that feeling. I I don't like it all the time, but every time I go and practice, I, I see a little bit of improvement. And so I'm willing to keep going and keep going. And that's, and that's a really important part of risk-taking because if we stop every time it gets hard, mm. our world gets smaller. Yes. And, and, then, and then all that potential gets mm. lost somewhere. So we want to make the world bigger. Yes. And that means we have to step towards hard. Mm. Another thing you can do to encourage responsible risk-taking in your classroom is look at your walls and look at what's on the walls of your classroom. Is it perfection? Is it the things that, uh, you know, the best work only goes on the wall? Or do you have examples of the process to show the mistakes, what it looks like, a rough draft, for instance? I watch children when they write stories think they have to write everything perfectly first time because that's the only way they've seen stories. But if you have a look at my drafts for my books or my blogs or there's so many words crossed out, there's arrows everywhere, it's messy and it's chaotic. Are we exposing children to the process of taking risks and the learning process rather than just the perfection? And we've actually adopted that in our school. So we we at the end of each term have a celebration of learning around our core concept that we've been working on. And the celebration of learning is shows the journey of learning over the term. So we show where we started, we show our thinking where we started, what ideas and concepts we had, and then how that's grown over the time. And so we are seeing the work in progress and it's not all perfect. And that's one of the things I love when we do the celebration of learning and you walk around all of the classrooms. You get to see all this wonderful, rich learning that's been going on because you can see the work in progress and the students see each other's work in progress. I love I've, I've got um, tingles going up and down my spine. <laughs> I love this. This is awesome. One of my favourite strategies, though, to help students to become responsible risk takers is a strategy that came from a maths teacher, but you could use this in any subject. And this maths teacher said to us, she said, I, uh, kids just give up. They just stop. When they think they can't do the math problem, they just stop and they don't know, don't do anything. 
And she said, what am I going to do? And so we talked about, did they need persistence? Did they need to go back into their past knowledge? What was it that they were having challenge with? And we decided it was risk-taking. So here's what we suggested. We mean being, I should say, my co-author, Graham Watts and I have written two books around the habits of mind and implementing them into your classroom. And so this teacher asked us, and so we said, well, we think it's responsible risk-taking. So here's what we suggested, that when a child looked at a maths problem and didn't know what to do, they would write RR in the margin, mm. standing for responsible risk. It was a secret sign to the teacher. I'm not sure what I'm going to do, but I'm going to do it anyway. Now, here's what happened. Nine times out of 10, when his child wrote RR in the margin, they got it right. It was incredible. The maths teacher thought she was teaching mathematics, but actually she's teaching students to be responsible risk takers through mathematics. What if a child learns that nine times out of 10, when you try something, you get it right? What an incredible life concept to be able to learn. Now think about when they're writing stories and they're not sure if it's the right, correct word or the correct place to put it in the in the text or how to spell the word, right? R, R in the margin, responsible risk, secret little signal. I'm going to give it a go anyway. It's my favorite strategy. I love that. Yes. I absolutely love it. I think one other thing for me is that as teachers, we need to, and parents, we need to be demonstrating responsible risk taking. We need to actually let our students know um, when we've gone to a course and we're trying something new to let them in on it, to say, look, I'm going to try this. I'm not sure it's going to work. Can you give me some feedback at the end because I really need, need help? And so then it puts, it actually puts our students in the driver's seat much more and they get to see somebody taking a risk and, and physically doing it. You know, outdoor eat is a fantastic opportunity for us to put ourselves into a position we might not be feeling so brave about. You know, for me, I'm not particularly keen on. So... I know that coming camp, that's going to be a challenge for me. I'm going to share that with my students. Last year, I had to go to the dentist. I'm petrified of the dentist. And so I talked to my class about it and said, I'm really, really scared today. If I seem a little bit off, a little bit sort of not really concentrating, it's because I'm really scared I'm going to the dentist after school. Do you have any advice for me? And I was genuinely asking for it. And it was wonderful because they said, well, you have to just be brave, Mrs. G. And sometimes you've got to go through hard to get to easy. And I'm like, oh, I hate it when the words come back to you. I love that. Um, and then they said things like, well, you could think of us. You could dance or sing because I know that makes people feel happy and feel more brave. So I got lots of really good suggestions. And the thing was I went to the dentist and I was able to have a little bit of a smile because I'm thinking I don't know how the dentist would cope if I got up and started dancing and singing in the middle of the appointment. But the other thing was that I could then go to, the, go to my students and say, I went to the dentist, I was really scared, I used some of your ideas because they helped me feel better, and I was brave and I did a scary thing, I did something that was really hard for me. And so again, they felt empowered mm. because they'd, they'd been able to, and it was a genuine thing, I wasn't putting it on, I wasn't telling the story, it was really mm. genuine. And, and we can do it through story as well, obviously. You know, like there's lots of examples out there of famous people and, and, and picture books and all sorts of places where we can see people taking risks and we can analyse it and we can talk about what that might look like in mm. our own lives. But we can be great examples for our students and I think that's really important. Absolutely. So I hope there's something there that you can use to be able to help in the next week or two in the classroom to be able to 
encourage that responsible risk-taking to be able to use some different strategies for yourself to maybe get a different result in the classroom. So uh, thank you for listening and we're here because what you do matters. Thank you for listening to the Teachers Matter podcast. We're eager to transform the lives of even more teachers and educators. So please remember to like and review the show wherever you listen to this podcast. It really helps. And if you enjoyed the podcast and would like to have more resources and information, head on over and join us at spectrumeducation.com.